I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. With a megawatt smile and eight Olympic medals, Nathan Adrian's swimming skills have almost caught up with his charisma. He stands at a whopping six foot six, but when you see him, intimidation is the farthest thing from your mind. Nathan is quick to make others laugh, and you'll quickly discover his humble and honest nature as we chat. He's already a three-time Olympian, but on his road to number four, he was diagnosed with testicular cancer. After two surgeries to stop the cancer, he worked hard at his recovery to get back in the pool, and he's been training diligently toward Tokyo. Nathan is always learning from his experiences, and he's pretty excited for another big one that's going to hit before Tokyo. He's about to become a girl dad. Get ready for a fun, insightful, and encouraging conversation with one of the most premier sprint swimmers in the world. But before we get into this awesome episode, please take a quick minute to subscribe and give us a five-star review. It means so much to me personally, but it also enables us to keep bringing on such amazing guests like Nathan Adrian. And as my gift to you today for listening, I have a freebie that contains five smart strategies for confidence. Just go on over to laurawilkinson.com slash learn to snag it. All right. I believe that there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode. Nathan Adrian, I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome you to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Thank you for being here with us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, I I always love to kind of um, have my guests tell us a little bit about how they got started into this sport. But I have to tell you, I have some young kids right now. And so I was totally laughing when I read this on your website. It says, Nathan started taking swim lessons at about the age of two and started competing when he was five. As Nathan got older, he reduced the amount of time he was committing to Nerf Wars and flashlight tag and got more serious about honing his swimming talents. So (laughs) you got to tell me, like, was this, um, I mean, have you just always swam and that was it? Or? you know, at what point did Nerf Wars and Flashlight Tag kind of take that sidestep? <laughs> oh, man. So it was actually always sort of when I describe it, like even with like me gravitating towards a sport or the sport kind of taking my life over, whatever you want to whatever you want to call it, it, it has always kind of been linear. Um, so it was it was, you know, that classic model of two times a week for however long I did it. And then I moved up to the next group. Then it was three times a week. And then it was, you know, four times a week with just a Wednesday off. And then the five times a week. And then suddenly, all you know, Sunday, Saturday mornings were a thing. And then all of a sudden morning practices before school were a thing, uh, you know, you know, before we knew. So I, I would say that I was able to sort of juggle both and like do a little bit of soccer um, along with, you know, the normal kid stuff and not feel like I was truly sacrificing anything. Let's call it until maybe seventh or eighth grade. And then that's when it started becoming apparent that if you wanted to, to be good at, at this sport, that, you know, the Friday night football games, they were, they were sort of out of the picture or just general, you know, hanging out or staying up late during the during the school week uh, was just not really something that that was, you know, on the table for me anymore. Yeah. Was that kind of did you just do that because your, your older brother and sister swam also, right? Oh, yeah. So my older brother and sister both swam. They were older than me enough that I was never fortunate enough to be in like their same group with them. So my sister was eight and a half. She is eight and a half years older than me. My brother's six years older than me. 
And then six years after my brother, surprise, surprise, comes, <laughs> comes little Nathan. Um, so I watched them. Like I said, I was never in the same group as them. So I was always competing in my own little third child kind of way, looking at what their times were uh, when when they were my age or, you know, what levels they were attaining when they were my age or uh, all the way up to what schools uh, they were, you know, getting recruited by and, and looking at when it came to getting recruited for uh, for NCAA swimming. Well, I love that. Did they know you were being competitive with them or was that just your like secret internal? (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I I was like one of the kids. I couldn't turn it off. (laughs) That was only that was only a skill that has has been recently acquired in the the last (laughs) several years. You know, it would ruin my night if I lost a game of Risk or Monopoly (laughs) or I stopped playing video games because I just couldn't stand losing so much. So fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have only recently been able to, to to play with that switch a little bit. Oh, that's awesome. Well, okay. So you went to Cal for college and you decided you were only there for what, like a year before you took off before the 08 Olympics? Exactly. So I went to Cal and one of the major draws, I mean, besides, I mean, it was for me, it was, it was perfect. I grew up in the Seattle area. You know, the Bay Area was just, was a pretty easy transition. Uh, also, academics meant a lot to me, and the coach at Cal had put uh, something like six of the eight finalists in the fifty freestyle in the in the past Olympic Games. Wow! <laughs> so I was, you know, I, wow. I was thrilled that I was recruited by them. Um, coming down, it just it felt like it it felt a lot more like a home for me versus uh, a vacation uh, when I went to some of the other schools, and I could just see myself fitting in with the team and growing eventually into an adult with with those people that uh, that I was I was getting recruited by and and that's probably not something that a lot of younger athletes quite understand but it, it really will help to shape who you who you will eventually be so so be cognizant of that as you're going through that selection process for your for your schools well that that's really wise was that something like your parents kind of put into you or was that just something you innately like knew to look for so actually, one of one of the guys that I was on a recruit trip to Texas, and to this day, I still really appreciate him sitting me down and talking to me about this. But he didn't say those words, but he basically said, hey, you're looking at a lot of really great schools, you know, in terms of academics, in terms of, you know, swimming, wherever you feel the most comfortable uh, and the p- place that you inherently feel like you could concede, succeed at. That's got to be where you choose to go. So, and, and, you know, I took that advice and said, you know, Texas, you're not the school for me. (laughs) (laughs) Although it would have been really nice to have you here, Nathan. (laughs) But I think you found your home, like you said. But what, how did you decide? I mean, with just one year under your belt and then you decided to take a year off to train what with, with uh, your club coach, right? Mike Bottom at the race club. So actually, so that's that. Sorry, that was, that was the way I was, uh, where I was going with that. So Mike Bottom was actually here at Cal. Uh, he was the assistant coach. He was a sprint coach. He was the guy that I was coming here to work with. Nort, uh, you know, was a great, great coach himself. But uh, Mike was a little bit, um, he was kind of the new school back then. Really what I was looking forward to was was training like a sprinter back when I was, you know, going through the high school ranks. A lot of us were just kind of pounding the yardage, getting a lot of volume in because it would all pay off in college uh, when you could train and lift weights like a sprinter. And uh, fortunately, it actually did work out that way. But Mike decided to take that 0708 year off uh, to go down to the Florida Keys and have a little professional team down there. So we had Gary Hall Jr., who was uh, the defending Olympic champion, the 50 free. 
Uh, we had Dewey Dragania, who was the uh, defending silver medalist in the 50 free. Milorad Kavik, who was the guy that almost beat Michael Phelps in the 100 fly in 08. Wow. And we had another uh, 200 IM uh, medalist in George Bavel. So we had a really, really great group of professional athletes down there. And when Mike sat me down and said, hey, you know, when I recruited you, I had full intentions of, of training you through at least this Olympic cycle, if not the next one. So I, I want to extend that invitation and, and honor my commitment to you uh, and, and invite you to take the year off and take the Olympic waiver. Uh, and the Olympic waiver is, is basically just a redshirt year that doesn't even eat away at your time clock. It's as if the year uh, never happened. And, and once I applied and received that Olympic waiver, I, you know, I was really excited to, to get down there. And, and, you know, at 19, I was able to kind of live the life of a professional swimmer. And at that point, I had no idea whether swimming would work out or not. Uh, so, you know, what what an awesome opportunity for me as, as a young kid. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that sounds awesome. I cannot even imagine being like with all those caliber of athletes. Like, were you, was that intimidating at all to you or were you just like totally excited? Uh, I was I was really excited. I mean, it was, it was certainly there is a level of intimidation there, but like as, as a young and like, what do, what do you have to lose? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. like you get beat by the defending Olympic champion, in the 50 freestyle, like, okay, big deal. But you know, you have the opportunity to compete with him and maybe next week you're going to be a little bit closer. And then maybe the week after that, uh, you know, you might be even with them in, in a particular race or set in practice. Well, so how do you think, how do you think training with those guys in that year, like really changed you mentally and physically? Well, actually, I really I still look back to that time as a, as a wonderful period of growth uh, for me because I was training with a lot of different people who grew up in different circumstances, uh, experienced different things. I mean, I, I think about George all the time. He grew up in Trinidad and Tobago, and that kind of shaped his his worldview. Uh, he at the time was sort of um, we called him kind of like the jungle man because he was really uh he was like obsessed with like hunting and subsisting off of the earth. And, uh, you know, we would go spear fishing and then we'd come back oh, and wow. pick it up that night. And he would, he had all these stories of like really cool adventures from when he was growing up in Trinidad or, um, Gary obviously had, had a unique path where he actually, he went to Texas for a year, decided it wasn't for him. And then, you know, turned professional. And at a time that that was really just unheard of Dewey, Grew up, born and raised in Croatia, so that offers a different perspective. And then, and then, you know, we had some Brazilians there, um, so it was really cool for me again as a 19 year old to go experience this because I, you know, born and raised in Washington State, uh, hadn't really been outside. I, I, I had traveled, you know, Canada and, and Mexico, but I hadn't spent an extended amount of time in any other culture besides my own. Uh, so it, it was fun to experience that and kind of like learn from them. Yeah, you're like in a total melting pot just in, in Florida. <laughs> you know that. Yeah, so cool. yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's so cool. How do you think it helped you physically? Like I love how it kind of probably grew you like culturally and in wisdom around people, but like how physically do you think it helped you? I mean, physically it was it was massive. It was it's a lot like being the youngest sibling. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I was trying to keep up with these guys uh all the time, every day. It was so I was actually young going into my freshman year. So this was I was actually the age of a typical American freshman student. So I can't like 18 until December, then I turn 19. So I mean, whether it be in the weight room, whether it be in the pool, like it's like you just set the standard of, of greatness in practice 
from all the other athletes and what they're doing. And then you compare yourself against that. And, you know, one day you don't meet that expectation. You're like, man, I, I got to go. I got to get on my recovery better. I got to, you know, foam roll. I got to stretch out. I got to. I don't think we had like vibrating foam rollers or whatever, whatever we had access Not to. Not too back fancy then. back then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever, whatever modalities we had access to, it was like, I need to get on this. Like I need I figure out how to get better so I can, you know, keep up. That's so cool. So how pivotal was the 50 free then at the 2008 trials, like kind of culminating this like year with all these guys and this kind of little training bubble you guys had? Like, what was that emotional journey like of everything that transpired there? So it was, it was a long journey. So actually, I'm going to back up a little bit to the hundred. Um, so the hundred was a little earlier in the in the meet. Um, and, and funny enough, I don't know um, how the diving world championship cycles worked, but we had a short course world championships, and short course world championships would happen every even year. And in 2008, they were slated to happen in like March or something. So like. Who that has a realistic shot at an Olympic individual medal is going to fully prepare for a short course world championship? (laughs) Nobody. But for someone like me, I had qualified for that meet. And it was a great opportunity for me to go and represent Team USA, get a feeling for what that's like. Go to the big dog meet where you have to go to the ready room 20 minutes before your race, get your suits checked, get your cap got, you know, go through all had of you Had you been to world meets before? Was this no, kind of your first? No, oh, I this hadn't. is your first one. Okay. I had. So this is my very, very first one. So this is when I was getting used to all the Team USA meetings once a day and all, all that fun stuff. So I ended up winning uh, the 100 freestyle at that meet, which was a huge confidence booster for me. So... I was going into Olympic trials as I, th- I think most people thought I was a kind of a dark horse, had an outside shot, but who knows? He might have a good meet, he might not. Uh, but for me, I mean, I was riding high. I was this world champion. The caveat was that it was a short course world championships that no one cared about. <laughs> uh, and and I go and I dive in and my prelims, uh, I was actually next to Michael Phelps and Michael just absolutely destroys me. I was swimming. I was swimming to try to beat Michael Phelps because I thought I was hot stuff. But, you know, after after the dive and his 15 meter kick out, I mean, I think I was seeing his probably his like abs or so. And then by the turn, I think I was seeing his feet. So uh, that that brought me down to earth real quick. And then semifinals comes along. And I'm actually against a guy named Neil Walker, who was another one of my uh, my heroes growing up. He was just such an awesome staple for for Team USA. And I actually, I was, I was telling myself, Hey, this is semifinals. You just need to make, you just need to make top eight. And if you beat Neil Walker, like you could for sure do it. So <laughs> I, I dive in and, and we do, I do beat him. And I was like, Oh, phew, what a relief. But then I look at up at the scoreboard and the top eight names scroll by and I, I don't see my name. And then, you know, nine through 16 rolls by and I see my name right there at the top and, and, uh, I'm actually ninth. So that means I, I didn't qualify for finals, but. You know, while I was warming down, getting ready for my next races, my coach, uh, Mike Bottom, he comes up to me and says, Nathan, like, hey, Ryan Lochte is, is actually scratching out of a final. So get ready. And I was like, oh, yeah, sweet. Like, I'm in. Let's do this. <laughs> but what had actually happened was I had actually tied for ninth. So I had to go and uh, and do a swim off that night. Oh, so in front of like the the. 10 or 15 people that are there necessary to run the meet. And then my Cal teammates and probably my parents 
uh, at like, you know, 9 30, 10 PM after the, the, you know, 10,000 plus crowd of people left. Uh, I had to do the swim off to try to make top eight. And, and I, I do that. I get in the top eight and then long story short, I, I end up making the, um, making the Olympics from, uh, from lane eight. Wow. Uh, but I, 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 I certainly do look back on that experience even still to this day and, and remember that, you know, no matter how hard you think you had tried or no matter how any given competition has gone up until that point, like your next race might be the one. And, and for me, that's exactly what happened. I ended up dropping like four or five tenths of a second in a hundred freestyle from, you know, a day ago when I thought I gave everything I had for each and every one of those races somehow, you know, my body allowed me to go a half second faster. So I, I definitely use that as, as a lesson uh, for, for my own meets now. Oh, I love that. That is so cool. So what was that first Olympic experience like then? I mean, was it kind of everything you dreamed or does it still feel surreal? Or, I mean, because you've been to three now, but what was it like that first time going? It was, it was really surreal. So for me, I mean, I guess I had... I hadn't done a ton of international travel. That was kind of the, probably the start of it. And China feels pretty foreign uh, because there's just not a lot of English speakers. And and it's wildly different from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. basically, <laughs> like a lot of places you go, you know, most a lot of people start off going to Europe. Canada is basically I mean, that hardly counts. I, I suppose it does. But uh, you go to Europe, you go overseas somewhere and and. Basically, you can get along a somewhere or, or find someone who always speaks English. But in, in China, that's just not necessarily the case. So it definitely felt very foreign. But Team USA uh, and USA Swimming do a great job of, you know, helping you make you feel secure with actual, you know, plans and true security. And my race was actually pretty early on. It did feel very strange. It's this dual nature of, oh my gosh, this is the Olympics. This is the pinnacle of, of my sport. But also it's like, I still wake up and it still feels like another day, but then like, I have to realize all over again, oh my gosh, like I'm waking up at the dorms at the Olympics. This is crazy. <laughs> um, so there was, there was a lot of that going on. And also very cool just to be able to watch those swimmers that I had grown up watching and, and idolizing uh, go through their processes and and fulfill their own dreams. Oh, for sure. Well, can you compare like the 08 to 2012 to 2016? Because I mean, you won medals at all of them, but I know your experiences were vastly different. Like kind of walk me through some of maybe the differences between the three. Oh, totally. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're crazy different. I mean, 08, I was just young. I was a relay swimmer, uh, so I just swam basically like the first couple of days, and then I was done, and I was kind of like basically a cheerleader, and that was fine. It was like my I, th I felt like my job there was to go to swim as fast as I could on the relay for Team USA, and then try to just soak up all the knowledge and experience, and and just watch people go through what they need to go through to be successful, and that was. An awesome, awesome experience in 2012. Well, you know, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna just point out something real quick that I love you had. I love that you had the wisdom and kind of wherewithal to think about soaking that in because I feel like some people go to the Olympics and they may still have like a long career ahead of them, but they're like, my job is done, and they go party and they just hang out or whatever. <laughs> but I love that like you were like, this is my job, and I am gonna soak this in. I'm gonna take something from it, and I just I think that's really cool, and I think that's a great way to go into a meet or after your job is done. If it's not over, I think that's really smart. 
Oh yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, we were there for, for that many days. Uh, and it was, it was the par- parties will always be there, but, but being on the inside of an Olympic games and a very unique Olympic performance through what Michael did and, and amongst others is, is much more unique, uh, I'd say of, of a time, uh, than, than going and, and partying. But so 2012 was, was different in, in that, I had been making the teams individually and I do like meddling at some of the, uh, at some of the international meets. So that was a totally different experience in that I was just, I was coming in with an expectation of competing for medals, not necessarily like getting one, but Hey, you know, you should be in the final. And if you have a good one, you should be, you should be competing for, for some medals. So, um, was that kind of the, yeah, that's gotta be kind of the mindset of like USA swimming too, because as a whole USA swimming is so dominant that it kind of seems like if you're on the team, you got a shot. Like, is that kind of an expectation or is it just a confidence? I, I'm not sure. I think it's a it's a perception that pe- different people will experience like slightly differently. I, I do think overall there's just such a selection bias in that if you had the skills to qualify for the Olympics for Team USA, you should be thinking about meddling individually. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, like it's it's like you have to perform at such a high level and you're basically almost there if if you are doing that and qualifying individually for for Team USA. So it, it's it really it shouldn't be and it is not that far of a stretch for any athlete to say, hey, maybe maybe I just need a little bit more rest. Maybe I just need a little bit more time or, or uh, some improvement to some of my skills. And and I'm right there. So it, it is it is sort of a unspoken expectation but at the same time like there are athletes who absolutely thrive without expectations so it's it's not something that we're going to be at the meet team meetings and being like you made it dang it you better be in the finals you know it's like right. we we definitely try to foster a um i guess an environment of inclusion in that we are going to do whatever we can to give you something to be successful. And if that means that, you know, we need to step up and race and we need to talk some smack to get your, your juices flowing, like, <laughs> let's do it. Or if that means that you need the entire pool to yourself for an hour so because you like doing particular sets uh, in a particular way without a bunch of eyeballs, you know, watching you and, and that doesn't help you out like that, that can be facilitated as well. Oh, that's cool. So sorry, back to 2012 and uh, you'd made it individually. Oh yeah. So, so yeah, that's that, oh, that was, um, and, and one of the the best things about that was one of my really good buddies and Matt Grievers. I mean, it, it was really cool cause he won his, uh, individual gold. I mean, maybe a day or two before I won my individual gold and like we, we were rooming together in these, you know, tiny twin extra long beds and you know, he's six, eight, I'm like six, six and a half. <laughs> Uh, so we're two big dudes in a, in a very small room. And I remember him just being like, dude, this is crazy. Like if you would have looked at us last year, like who would have bet on us? Cause Matt didn't even make the world championships team in 2011. Really? And I think I got like fifth or something in the hunter free final. So that, I mean, that was just such a moment of, oh my gosh, dude, like, you're right. That's crazy. Like th- that's, that's so, so special. That is so cool. And how how is it different in 2016? Uh, so 2016, it was similar but different in that, like, 
you know, 2012, I, I didn't have any like necessarily like team responsibilities. It was just like, I'm there. I'm going to go try to do my stuff. I'm going to go compete. And, and then that that's what we're doing. 2016, like I'm, I'm one of the older guys now. <laughs> like I, I, they call they call us veterans. So I was, I was elected team captain, which adds a little bit of um, just a little bit of something to do. It's, it's nothing crazy, but it's sort of being like eyes and ears for, you know, the administration, administrative staff and the coaches like, Hey, the team is just really having a rough time with these, these daily meetings. We need to, we need to cut us, cut us loose for a couple of days. Uh, let us do our thing. Or, Hey, I think it'd be really beneficial if we had maybe, um, you know, the girls team went out and did a, a, a dinner together. The guys team went out, had a guys dinner together. And then we all did a team meeting, you know, those like really, really small, subtle things like that essentially are, are what like a team captain is responsible for it. it. It's more or less kind of observing and then and then responding a little bit. Did you like that role? I'm comfortable in it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, do you do you like it? Like I, I, I would be lying if I said that it doesn't take a little bit of emotional energy because it, it, it certainly does. Uh, but it. I don't mind it. And I, I'm happy. I'm actually happy to do it. I, I, I do like it as long as as the the team is comfortable uh, having me do so. Got, gotcha. That's fair. It probably depends on how well the team is and if you have to keep people in line, too, I'm sure. Yeah, it, it is. That's a, you're, you're, you're pointing out exactly what like. What <laughs> I'll, I'll say it so it. you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, like I, not, we are, you don't want to be captain to be enforcer of rules or punishments or, you know, I, 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 and I'll say that the first thing I'm like, hey, listen, guys, if you're doing something against the rules, don't let me know. Like, cause if a coach <laughs> asks me, I'm not going to lie to them. Right. <laughs> so, you know, so, and, and I, I do my best to try to be fair in that way. It's like, don't, don't tell me, don't say things around me. That's fine. I don't need to know whatever the gossip is. <laughs> I love that. We, I wish we could call you Nathan, the enforcer though, because that just has a good ring. No, to it. <laughs> no, I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, okay. Beyond your swimming. I mean, you have what obviously so many recognize you have this unmistakable smile and it just seems like no matter win or lose your successes or your challenges you always seem to just wear this joy on your face and where where does that come from i i don't know if it's like a nature or nurture thing but i i do feel very fortunate in, in that i i do seem to to err on the side of optimism and i I think I find that in myself and I try to foster it as much as possible. So it's probably a little, a little bit of both of that nature nurture thing. I know some tips and tricks for myself to get out of the ruts. And most of them have to do with uh, figuring out a way to tell Dave, my coach, that I'm overtrained <laughs> and or uh, get some more sleep. Uh, or, uh, whether if, if I feel really overwhelmed, it's, it's writing a list down of everything I need to do and then going kind of methodically down that list one by one. Um, these are all things that I, I kind of picked up, you know, through close observation of myself and then just being forced to, to manage the, the life of a student athlete in college. Just like, Hey, my mood is, is bad. And instead of being like, I need to change my mood, thinking about it at, from the other side in what contributing factors perhaps put me in, in, you know, this, this sort of rut and what can I do, uh, in the future to, to try to avoid that. Oh, I like that. That's really good. I mean, cause I, I think that's so, it's so important cause it's, 
sometimes people aren't really good at recognizing that kind of stuff. Or like you said, maybe they'll recognize they're in a mood and they don't really know what to do about it. Like that's a great, that's a great tip is just kind of take a step back, look at it from the other angle. What can you do to help you get out of that? That's really cool. You've had just so much success in meters, but then also, you know, in NCAAs as well as the Olympic Games. And this is, this comes from my husband because I am not a swimmer, but he wants to know, like, how does your approach to like training technique strategy to each like yards versus meters change um, based on like which one you're swimming? Like, how does that all kind of work out and how do you strategize that? So <laughs> depending on how, how in depth we want to go, your stroke rate and your technique changes uh, from yards to meters. If you're operating at a at a high level, even down to uh, size of your kicks to uh, like size of your kicks off the wall to um, you know the, their frequency. I think for for me, it's it's really important to to work on like not necessarily both at the same time, but have a short, a small short course season just to keep it fresh, or maybe even work on some short course like skills and drills. During those times where I am feeling really broken down. So I have something fresh to work on, something fresh to improve on. But I guess I guess like direct answer to your question is is that everything changes. It's it's essentially like my freestyle. I have I'd say let's just call it like five different gears where it's like super, super, super easy, uh, smooth and and perfect. uh, Let's call it six years, smooth and perfect technique and then 100 stroke long course, 100 stroke short course, 50 stroke long course, 50 stroke short course. And and each of those, it, it honestly like it takes a long time at the beginning of the season to sort of groove those neural patterns out. But once you're clicking, it's just like I'm going to push off the wall and I'm going to operate at 100 long course meter breathing pattern and tempo. And, and you just kind of do it. Uh, it's actually pretty cool, especially when things start to click. I, I I kind of assume it's similar in in your sport too, where when things start to click, you just like, you don't think about it. You just do it. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. I love that. And it's, it kind of almost sounds like me going from like one meter springboard to three meter springboard or the different levels of tower. It's like a lot of the technique is similar, but there's a different cadence. There's a different like feel in the air and how much drop time you have and like the rhythm coming off. So I, I kind of get that. That sounds kind of like similar, even though I feel like I feel like swimming would be a lot harder to figure out the differences, <laughs> but that's just not my thing. <laughs> well, I mean, for for me, it's diving sounds a million times harder. So it's just what we were doing when we were kids. You know what? Maybe we should get together and I'll try to swim and you try to dive. How does that go? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the thing. Actually, so my, my wife was actually a diver at Stanford. So oh, really? She was really excited when I was coming on the podcast. Oh, that's so awesome. I didn't know that. Was she platform or springboard? Platform. Oh, nice. But she ended up quitting because she just had, like developed this phobia of jumping off. And she still has nightmares of like belly flopping off 10 meter and having to go to the hospital. <laughs> well, so, that's a legit fear. <laughs> exactly. So it's like if you mess up swimming, it's sort of like, oh, no, maybe I like choked and, and had like a big breath of water and I had to cough it up. It's like, if you mess up swimming, like, you're in the free world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a whole different, whole different ball game there. Well, if she's looking to get back in, tell her I'm looking for a synchro partner. So <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a tough sell. She's still scared. All right. Well, that's okay. Tell tell her I, I still love the fact that um she see because my husband was a swimmer in college. She was swimming at Minnesota. And now he coaches. So we we kind of married the same way. So tell her that I I think very highly of her that way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah. She'll be excited to hear that. Nice. Okay. Well, so. 
You know, I mean, most people like swims and performances where you meddle and everybody knows about them. I mean, sometimes those are our favorite or our most memorable performances. But like, what about for you? When you look back at your career so far, what is maybe one of the most memorable performances, whether or not it was something we all saw and was huge? Like, what's so memorable to you that you like immediately go back to? Well, there's a couple and for different reasons. I mean, that that one that I had kind of gone over and... and the 2008 uh, Olympic trials experience that was that was really memorable for me just because of the way it happened the roller coaster of emotions thinking that I somehow had a chance of beating Michael one on one and then you know getting destroyed coming back being Neil but not making blah 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 um, it, it was it was a lot for a 19 year old kid to handle at his first Olympic trials the the successes are are easy to talk about and obviously very fun like 2012. You go in and and James was the clear favorite uh, by oh gosh almost a full second. I actually after after qualifying for the 2012 Olympics, I remember uh, an Australian reporter at the U.S. Olympic trials was like, "So James is uh, quite a bit faster than you." And I was like, <laughs> oh my goodness. "Yeah, <laughs> like he is." I, I just made Team USA's Olympic team. Thank you. Next question. You know. Like, so it was like uh, that was that was an amazing experience just because it it really sort of summed up everything that you know any coach had ever tried to teach me, and going through the actual motions taught me it you know so much harder than you know listening to, to anybody talk on it to be honest and and you know here I am the guy that that talks about it all the time but <laughs> you know experiencing it was was something different so yeah going through that whole process and then actually 2011. I, I talk about 2011 all the time when I go to camps, clinics, or you know, talk to to local club teams because no one knows what happened in 2011 because I totally sucked. <laughs> uh, and, and I think every athlete uh, that that gets up to a certain level has these sorts of stories where they just totally sucked, and no matter what their resume is, that story is still there. And I think that in itself is is so incredibly important because. You know, going into that meet, um, I had won the 50 free, 100 free individually. We had won all the relays. Um, so I was going into a world championships and I was all excited and I was, you know, for getting ready to, to win my first world championships individual medals. And then um, 100 free, like I had mentioned, I got fifth. And the 50 free, uh, I got fourth. Uh, I was one 100th out of third place and then two 100th out of second place. It was just like the total heartbreaking meet for me because I thought I was hot stuff. And then that's that was my 2011. Uh, almost get ran down for the relay, which was hard. And and that was that experience that that taught me that hey, after the meet was over, like my friends are still my friends, and my my family still love me, and like the, the sun still rose the next day. You know, it's like you get so caught up in your performance, especially in like a long like eight day meet, like the World Championships, when they're not necessarily going your way. You're just like, oh, my world is ending. How can this happen to me? I worked so hard for it. This is unbelievable. And uh, once you're out of that little bubble, you're like, you can like breathe again. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's right. Like it is okay. Like going through that experience as a kid, or I guess it was my first, it was my first year of being a professional was incredibly important because I, I sort of got to live life a lot more free after that. After the disappointment? Yeah, like looking at it, if I would have, you know, won everything after that meet, I think I would have worn it as a burden um, going into the 2012 Olympics. And then, you know, the meet after that and the meet after that and the meet after that until ultimately I did eventually fail. 
So I have a question kind of all along those lines, like you go to your first Olympic games and I mean, you, you had a humbling moment against Michael and those guys at trials, but you still came away with a gold medal having some in the relays. And then you went back to school. How did that affect you or the, or people's view around you or about you? I don't know. I mean, it, it was, it was just a, it was just one of those cool things. Like we, Cal has a pretty like historic track record at the Olympics and both men's and women's side, men's women's water polo too. Like we're, we're, we're pretty good. We have, we have our own platforms now. So we're working on the diving side. Nice. Um, so it, it was, it was like something that was really special that I got to share with, you know, my teammates and my friends and we take it out for special occasions and, and this and that. But I mean, ultimately like your professors don't really care. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Honestly, at Cal, I could like, certain professors that could probably work against you. So I, I just kind of, it just, it lived in my closet and, you know, came out if someone asked for it. If not, then just, I was just another, you know, regular guy, regular teammate. That's cool. Well, what was that transition like then from college into pro? Like, how did that, you said um, you felt free after kind of like having that bad experience at world championships, but like, what was that kind of transition like because sometimes it's a hard shift when all of a sudden like you're out on your own and you're good enough to get paid to do something but then all of a sudden it's now your job you know what I mean so like did you struggle with that at all or were you kind of like sweet I get to swim for a living <laughs> totally totally struggled with it that, I mean that was a huge contributing factor to a to a not so great performance in 2011 you know we were working through contracts I was thinking about sponsorships and and you know uh, up until that point what had led me to success in swimming was thinking about my swimming and thinking, what can I do today to be the best possible swimmer versus what can I do today to get the most sponsorships and most contracts? Um, and, and that was just it was sort of skipping a step. And then for me, that just totally didn't work. It didn't compute. That's, that kind of gets back to what I was talking about before and realizing, hey, this isn't the paradigm that I operate efficiently at. That being said, there are some athletes and some athletes that I have swam with that that is exactly what they need to think about. You know, when they wake up in the morning and they're having a hard time getting out of bed, they need to kick their own butt and say, hey, listen, no sponsor is going to want me if I don't, you know, get in the water and, and do what I need to do. It just for that, I think that kind of throws me into a little bit more of an anxiety uh, state of mind. And and I, I'm not comfortable there and I don't like it. So I, I choose not to go there. Well, I like that you keep bringing this back. Like you, you really have to know yourself and we have to invest this time into like understanding our own personalities. And, and like you said, how we operate best. And sometimes it's really hard to be honest with ourselves of like, I thrive with this and I do not thrive in that because we want to be like, I can thrive in any situation. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, I, yeah. yeah. I'm adaptive. I'm the best. Right. Oh, totally. I'm a champion. You know, yeah. yeah. It's that athlete like yeah. mantra. So but I love how you keep bringing it back to like, you've got to know how you operate the best because we are not all the same. We are all totally different people with totally different personalities. Even though we're all really competitive, we operate differently. So I love that. That's really, really important. Okay. You got married in 2018. Congratulations. We've already talked about your lovely yep. wife who obviously is a diver, so she must be really cool. Um, <laughs> but just a couple of months later, you got diagnosed with testicular cancer. Like what was that whole ordeal like? Oh man, that was, it was a tough time. It was a really tough time. Um, so we got married and bought a house like in the same week, <laughs> which was crazy, but that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it happened, and and we're happy about it. So we thought that our craziness of the fall was 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 over. But you know, lo and behold, uh, here I am with this diagnosis, and 
like going back on it, like I, I do have a tendency to, to brush over it and say, Hey, we just, we did what we needed to do and we handled it. But that's such an, like a, a broad brush statement because as I look back on, you know, I have like little journals, uh, of, of my time and it was so, so tough. And, and the waiting, the waiting, the testing, and then the more waiting, that is what really, really wears on people. And, and what people don't understand about having medical issues is that we just like humans are really smart. And it seems like we're about to figure out a you know vaccine for a global pandemic in less than a year. But man, we still don't know exactly what's going on in, in your body. And when it comes to something like cancer and potential treatments for cancer, you as the patient still have to make actual decisions. So for me, it was like, okay, we have, and it, 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 they break it down and make it as easy as possible to kind of a decision tree. But basically it's like, there is a vascular mass in my testicle. Uh, it's cancer until otherwise figured out. Uh, so you remove, uh, you remove the testicle, you remove the mass, you biopsy it, and then you have options. And it's like, at that point, it was either adjuvant chemo, which means I just go through one round of the chemo to try to prevent any potential to kill any of the, the cancer cells that have potentially spread. I could do active surveillance, which just meant, hey, we we're kind of hoping, praying that um, that we got it all and it didn't spread from the initial tumor. Or the third option was uh, uh, surgically going in and removing some of the lymph nodes that it could have potentially spread to. Um, and each of those options have different probabilities associated with them based off of uh, what type of cancer you have and whether it had invaded the, the I, I don't know, there's like some, t I don't remember the exact, exact uh, definitions or, or I guess organs or whatever structures it is. But basically if it had spread a little bit past where the initial tumor is, that obviously makes it a little bit worse. You know, for me, I, I was fortunate in that there is a teaching hospital uh, in University of California, San Francisco, that has this awesome, awesome machine that basically the doctor is is playing a video game. Like when he is operating on you, like Dr. Meng was over in the corner, basically with VR goggles on Whoa. and like four like tiny little poles that fit into a you know centimeter and a half incision uh, into my abdomen, and he was operating everything from over there. So it was that's crazy. Um, yeah, yeah, and it, it's it was for me. It was it for a variety of different reasons. That was the right decision to make. Um, so I had my initial orchiectomy, and then we got on and did the laparoscopic. Uh, it's called a retroperitoneal dissection, R P L N D, and Basically, they go in, they blow you up full of CO2 so they can like see what's going on in there. And then they cut out those those lymph nodes and they they test them. And, and fortunately, not not fortunately or unfortunately, just what had kind of happened was there was uh, spread. So it had gotten to, I think, maybe two or three of the 30 lymph nodes uh, that they had removed. So it was a good call to to have that surgery otherwise if we would have gone on active surveillance it would have definitely led to a full bout of, of chemotherapy so right now i'm actually on the active surveillance protocol still um so i have uh mris and uh and blood tests every couple months just to make sure that it, it hasn't come back and knock on wood hopefully coming to the end of that here soon in uh, the end of january beginning of february time but yeah, it, it just completely rocks. The, the, the diagnosis itself will definitely change your outlook 
Um, especially I think for an athlete who is all about that delayed gratification, that payoff at the end of the season, that that I'm going to, you know, train so hard right now and my quality of life is going to be basically living like I have a mild form of the flu for like eight months out of the year, all just so I can go out and try to, you know, perform at, at the end of the year. And when you get something like a cancer diagnosis, you're like, party is like, what the heck were you doing, dude? <laughs> yeah, like, like, why weren't you going on hikes every day and traveling the world and learning different languages and doing this and that? And, you know, when I sat down with myself and, and really thought about it, I was like, no, I was doing something that I loved each and every day. And, and that is the that is definitely the truth, because, I mean, I, I still look forward to, to going to, to practice uh, even even to this day and, and Shout out and large thanks to to my teammates and, and coach just for being pleasant, wonderful people that, you know, are fun to be around and, and make you smile. That makes the world a difference. But it certainly shaped like my own paradigm moving forward beyond that, because essentially I almost got, you know, the sport that I, I loved and still love just ripped away. I got almost got so much just absolutely ripped away. If I would have had to go through a full bout of chemo, the doctors, they were very nice. They were like, Hey, listen, we're not going to take anything away from you. We're just going to let you know right now that it, it, you know, chemo is really hard on your body. It'd be really, really tough to, to, you know, perform at an extremely high level after, you know, a year and a in just a short year and a half, when, of course, we all thought that the Olympics in 2020 were still right. happening in 2020. <laughs> um, so it was it was quite the shocking experience. And and as I mentioned before, I, I wrote down, you know, what I was going through at the time, especially during those waiting periods between the biopsies and, and the those test results. And, and it's crazy because you'll just go through these cycles of how, why, like, and then just general anxiety and then just a sense of calm, just like, wow, like look reflection and, and looking back on my own life and, you know, what had happened in my experiences. And if, if were, if it were my time, like, would I have been proud of the life I live? You know, like all these crazy questions that you may be like, think about shortly or some person asks you in passing and you just come up with a with a quick answer to move on to the next subject that's not quite as uncomfortable <laughs> um but i had to sit down and for you know my own emotional and mental health i had to sit down and answer those questions for myself and it was it was hard and some of them you still don't even have answers to but you you end up like thinking about and that's that's what has changed well, and that's had to be nice, at least when you're going through that, that you had your wife by your side and somebody, you know, I'm imagining to just kind of be a rock for you through that, too, that you weren't kind of on your own through all of that. Oh, my gosh. My wife. I mean, my wife was a saint through it. She was she came to every appointment. She was there with me. She slept on that terrible hospital bed. Uh, you know, the, the one that's like over on the side. That's not even really a bed. It's basically like a uncomfortable couch. chair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's bad. So, yeah, no. And, and having her through, I mean, I, I don't know what I, I would have done. It, and she was put in this horribly difficult situation of, you know, again, just getting married, husband getting diagnosed with cancer. And, and the way that she responded was wonderful in that, like, she could kind of read me and know that if it was a, a moment in time that 
the right thing to do was to maybe sit and reflect and talk about what's going on or maybe the situation calls for just pretending like life is normal <laughs> like thinking about the next time we're going to go on vacation uh thinking about the next you know we just bought a house what our next uh renovation is going to be if, when, when we're going to get a new oven you know those, those sorts of things like you know they have their place too uh and and for her to be able to kind of <laughs> it was almost like weather the storm of uh, of my cancer diagnosis and kind of flow into um, you know whatever was right at that time and, and I mean it was it was always right so she did a great job. Oh, that's so good. Well, I, after like coming back from the cancer treatment and getting back into training, I, I think you said something about like one side of your body was lagging behind the other. Like kind of how did you get through that? And like, how are you doing now? Oh, man. I mean, honestly, like I probably like you are probably someone that understands it um, just because you're like kinesthetic awareness is just off the charts. I'm sure <laughs> it's just like something feels off uh, and that has happened for so long. And, you know, I still feel that some things are still just slightly off, especially on that left side. It's like was having trouble developing kind of speed and power on that side. Like my left foot doesn't sweat. It's like the weirdest thing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> like I and I like the doctor's like, oh, yeah, that's that's pretty normal. I mean, I probably just, you know, touched a you know sympathetic nerve. And I was like, what? Like, I am I is my left foot ever going to sweat? You don't miss it until you don't have it right. because you slide out of your socks and you have no traction with your foot. <laughs> um, so. So that's like super weird, but, uh, and I'm, I'm super excited cause I'm actually getting a handle on it now, you know, for the longest time, like you could, your body has this incredible way of finding a way to compensate and, you know, figure out a way to still move through the water. But I'm now actually using the muscles that are intended to be used for, uh, for swimming. Um, so my lats and my, you know, my triceps and my pecs versus just trying to swim purely using my rotator cuff muscles and my delt. Right. Um, so it, it, my left side is so much more powerful than it was even, even six months ago. Um, and, and so much of it actually happens to like where they went in was like, just above my belly button, a couple inches below my belly button, and then maybe like three or four inches to the left side of, of each of those incisions. So actually, like my like psoas and iliacus and stuff, like they kind of get bundled up and bunched up. And, and for a long time, I couldn't contr the, contract my separate abs separately. It would just basically be like, oh, engage my core. And then everything would just tighten up. Oh, wow. And I would be like as stiff as a board. And then it'd be like, try to relax. And then I'd just be like, like, like a wet noodle. Uh. Um, and, and, and through like, you know, physical therapy and working, it's, it, it is with my physical therapist, just like her coaching me on, on different movements and different corrective, uh, like activities. Like I'm just getting a little bit better each and every week. And it, it's just so awesome. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's it's so weird when you're such a high level athlete. And like you said, you, you know, all of your body parts so well and how to use them. So then all of a sudden not being able to is so distorting. Like, cause I, I had a two level cervical fusion. So I have a nice titanium plate in my neck. I had that about almost two years ago now. So I, I totally understand coming back in this like weird shit. Like my balance was different. I had to relearn how to do a handstand. I've been doing handstands since uh, I was like eight years yeah, old. Exactly. And I'm like, how do I not know how to do a handstand? Like, but my, my neck is like my, my chin is back more than it used to be like I'm, my body's just in a different place so I know it's so it's weird isn't it yeah like because and any like any 
person grows like they they learn these skills as they're a kid and they grow slowly and it happens over a period of weeks and months etc but something like that is like one day to the next day and it's like your body has no time to adjust to it it freaks out all sorts of different muscles like fire off and like just try to protect everything that's going on in there oh man it's it's a wonderful wonderful thing that uh, that kind of sports <laughs> science and, you know, sports specific, like physical therapists, athletic trainers and, and chiropractors, what they've been able to do in the last you know, 10, 20 years. For sure. And it's a it's a little humble pie for us having to kind of start over and like relearn all that, you know, but hopefully in the end, it will make us even better. Right. <laughs> I, I certainly think so. I actually you know what I actually think it does for me is give like introduce a, a different like perspective and and I haven't done a ton of coaching in my life but I probably am going to do some levels shape or form of it when I'm done and I think that if everything goes perfect it's like I would look at a swimmer and be like hey just swim like I swam <laughs> you know like just do what I did uh, and and that just isn't something that you know every athlete or every body can do like I can do certain things that other people can't and on the other side of that, there are certain things that I cannot do up to a level of, you know, what, what people should consider elite that I just sort of avoid, like breaststroke. <laughs> <laughs> totally understand that. Uh, well, OK, so is it safe to say with all of this stuff and the, the cancer and the surgeries, what was the Olympic postponement a blessing or was it still kind of this weird disruption? Like kind of walk me through how that happened and how that kind of changed things for you. Yeah. So, I mean, of course it's, it's both basically. I mean, we were, I was in a, I was in a good mental space to say, Hey, let's go. I like, yeah, I still feel some stuff, but like, this is what I got. Like these are, this is the tools that I, that I have and I'm going to use them and I'm going to go compete. But like when all that happened, we were actually at the Olympic training center, like Rudy Gobert test positive NBA, like cancels game NBA cancels season. Like all this stuff, uh, like going, like the world just dominoes, just falling. And initially we were like, oh, that sucks. But we are at the Olympic training center. This is going to be perfect, you know? <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, like, like San Francisco goes full on shelter in place. Uh, Hallie's like working from home. I am like, oh, heck no. Like, I'm not about to get stuck in Colorado if they halt air air travel. Like, I am getting on a flight home and I will figure out training later. I'm pretty confident at this point. And this was weeks, I think maybe a week or two before they had actually postponed the games. But I'm like, there's no way that the games are going to happen as scheduled. This it just can't. Um, so I got on a plane or I, I actually I bought a ticket and it was, the I think, the one time that I changed my flight and by changing my flight, I actually got a refund because obviously no one was buying flights. They were too scared at that point. So that my <laughs> ticket I bought for like, you know, five hours later was cheaper than the one I had bought two months before. Nice. <laughs> um, and by the time I got to the Denver airport uh, in my Uber, our coach Dave texted the group chat and was like, hey, Colorado's governor shut everything down. Uh, get a ticket tonight if you can, if not first thing tomorrow morning. So it's like, oh, thank goodness. Like, I'm not missing out on any training. Like, people are getting sent home to be safe. And it just seemed like at the time, like, yeah, 
like the Olympics are going to get postponed. But that being said, like we still had to act like the Olympics were happening. We got home. We trained for a full week, week and a half, maybe even two weeks. At, at a certain point, our pool in Berkeley got shut down. Uh, so we were actually operating out of uh, out of uh, my swim school, uh, which is basically like a four lane, three and a half foot deep oh my pool that has like doesn't have gutters. It just has walls. So it was, in, you know, it, it's like. Wait, it's dude, like what, you're six foot six. Are your hands dragging on the ground? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like between that and like the fact that the, our waves are just bouncing off of the walls <laughs> oh and straight back into our face. It, it was not ideal. And then obviously the IOC came to their senses, postponed it for a year, and we could all just kind of take a breath. And at that point, Dave was like, all right, guys, yeah, we could work out, but we all need a week. <laughs> you know, we every single one of us uh, just needs to emotionally reset. We can come back. We have plenty of time before the Olympics happens again. So go home, get some rest, blah, blah, blah. So that's what we kind of did. And then and then after that, we just got into it super slow, super, super slow. Just like, you know, basically working on the, the beginning of the season all over again. That's just kind of the how we chose to, to do it because – that 18 months or whatever that we were given before Olympic trials, like that's still too long of a time to be 100% of the time, be 100% on all of the time. So for our emotional energy's sake, Dave chose to ramp it up and we're now we're, we're humming and, and going pretty good and, and getting ready to compete and, and do all that fun stuff. So are there meets on the schedule for you guys now? So there are like U.S. Open just happened this last weekend. And so far, you know, knock on wood, so good. I don't think anybody is or any of the sites have, you know, had issues with COVID. Is it just like um, no spectators or? It's no spectators. It's limited capacity. And like the U.S. Open, quote unquote, national meet happened at like four or five different locations. They just all happened at the same time, which is actually pretty cool on USA Swimming's part to to put that all together. But for us, uh, I mean, just my wife is pregnant right now. So we are, I just said, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to go anywhere. <laughs> not really, really for me, but, but luckily we do have the ability to, to set up a timing system and, and, you know, we have good, you know, Olympic size, Olympic caliber pools at, at Cal. So we can, we can compete and we just compete against each other. That's cool. Well, on that note, congratulations to you guys, by the way. That's awesome. It's going to be, it's a girl, right? It is. It's a baby girl. Girl dad coming our way. Awesome. Yeah. Well, so how is that going to affect you? Because you're going to have a little baby. You know, you're going to be up a lot, perhaps. And you're training now for <laughs> Tokyo 2021. Know. Like, are you are you prepping for that? Or is that how are you going <laughs> to? Oh, we're prepping. I mean, that's just, that's going to be one of those things that we're going to we're going to take it as, as it comes. I, I do. I do feel very blessed that. We do have pretty good maternity leave here for Hallie and her uh, her company, William Sonoma, offers that. And the, the other side of that is we have in-laws in town uh, or, or close by, which I think will be uh, immensely helpful. So, I mean, as with all things, we're going to we're going to take it, make the best of it and, and we'll see how it goes. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Nathan, where can we follow you online to kind of keep up with your journey and cheer you on toward Tokyo? Because you know we're going to be there because you're awesome and you're fun. <laughs> and we got to watch that smile as you stand on the podium again. Uh, thank you. So Nathan G. Adrian is my Instagram and Twitter handle, but I, I mostly am on Instagram. 
Okay. Very cool. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes so people can follow you. But thank you so much for, for taking the time to do this, for being so just vulnerable and, and humble and like sharing all of your wisdom and your experience with, the, with us and, and some great tips and tricks along the way too. We just, we appreciate you, Nathan. Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.